Welcome to the third episode of the My Sports Update football podcast. I am your host, Ari Mayrov. It's somehow already week four. It felt like yesterday was week one, and here we are already in week four. Time flies, the season flies. So much going on in the NFL once again. It's just nonstop, always things going on. After the Packers' loss last night, we have just seven unbeaten teams in the NFL, and we also have seven winless teams in the NFL. We have a team in the Giants that has hope for the first time in a while after Daniel Jones took the field last week. We have Gardner Minshew, of all people, leading the Jaguars to a win. Again, so much going on. More on all that later on. But we have a lot to get to here this week. So let's get started the way we always do. And that is with the latest news stories. Here we go. Let's start off with Panthers quarterback Cam Newton. He did not play on Sunday versus Arizona. And he has already been ruled out for this week's game versus the Houston Texans. Kyle Allen, he got the job done filling in for Cam, and he's actually been pretty impressive in two career starts with 489 passing yards, six touchdowns, and no interceptions, and a 2-0 record. Now, granted, he played against the Saints in Week 17 in a game which the Saints benched their, their starters, and then he played last week versus the Arizona defense, which isn't really good. We'll see how Kyle Allen does this week versus the Houston Texans defense. But back to Cam Newton, he's dealing with a Lisfranc injury. When I spoke about Cam Newton last week, we asked, is it going to be a one-week injury, a two-week injury? What is it for Cam? And I'm not a doctor, but from what I understand, Lisfranc injuries are no joke. Eagles defensive tackle Malik Jackson suffered a Lisfranc injury in week one. And he had to go. He had to undergo surgery, and his season's already over. Now, all Liz Frank injuries are not the same, but it's a type of injury that usually requires surgery. And we all got to see Cam play in Week One and Week Two, and he just isn't the same Cam we know. He isn't running, and now we understand why he wasn't running. And when you have Cam Newton, we know him as a dual threat quarterback. He could run and he can pass. What makes Cam so special is, is is the ability to throw and to run and to make defenses be on their feet. And now he can run because of the foot problem. His passes are off because of the shoulder problem. And I sort of understand why head coach Ron Rivera was so quick to rule Cam out this week. Because I guess the team is fine with starting Kyle Allen, especially after seeing how he played on Sunday versus the Arizona Cardinals. We all want to see Cam Newton with the Superman celebration and a big fat smile giving out footballs to kids after scoring touchdowns. But we haven't seen that Cam in a while. The Panthers have lost eight straight games in which he starts, and this does not sound like a day-to-day injury for Cam Newton and the Carolina Panthers, so we might end up seeing Kyle Allen for multiple games moving forward. Moving on to another player who is just not himself right now, and that is Rams running back Todd Gurley. We all know about the knee injuries, 
but head coach Sean McVay continues to insist that Gurley's workload is not being managed. Now, everyone, and I mean everyone who has watched Todd Gurley play in the past, knows that he isn't playing like Todd Gurley. He had just 14 carries on Sunday versus the Cleveland Browns. He has just 44 carries on the season. That comes out to under 15 carries per game. He had 59 receptions for 580 yards last season. In three games this year, Todd Gurley has just four catches for eight yards. So he isn't involved in the passing game. His running production is far less than usual. The Rams won't admit it. But this is not the Todd Gurley we all know. But he did get that pretty big contract last offseason. So there's a positive for him, the player. But as for the team, the LA Rams, they are 3-0 despite his lack of production. But I think it's safe to say that Todd Gurley, the workhorse, is no longer a thing. The Rams have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers coming into their building this week in week four moving on to another running back who was in the same draft class as Todd Gurley and that is Melvin Gordon he has ended his holdout after 64 days and he is back with the team at this point that feels like bigger fantasy news than real football news because Austin Eckler did such a great job replacing him. But Gordon is back, which makes sense because he had to be there for this season to count towards his free agency. And many people don't really understand what Gordon's plan was when he decided to hold out. Because yeah, he's a great running back, but he isn't in that elite category like Saquon and Zeke and McCaffrey and even Alvin Kamara. So I don't want to say that he got bad advice, but he reportedly got an offer of $10 million per, per year from the Chargers. Now, we don't know the structure of that offer and how much money was guaranteed, but he did decide to decline that. And now he'll be back with the Chargers without a new deal and a bunch of fines for not showing up. Usually teams waive some of those fines to entice the player to come back and the Chargers will see what they do with that. But Gordon is back with the team. He's back with his teammates. He does not have a long-term deal. Gordon hopes to play out this year and then become a free agent and get his big contract elsewhere. But... Here's what it could get a bit tricky because the Chargers can franchise tag him and hold on to him for another year. And this is why being a first round running back like Melvin Gordon was where it could be a bit tough because he played his first four years of a contract. Then he has that fifth year option and then the team can franchise tag him once and maybe even a second time. So that is seven years before the player gets a real opportunity to hit the open market. We'll see how this goes after the season, but that is one to watch with the LA Chargers. He is not expected to play this week versus the Dolphins. We might get to see him in week number five versus the Denver Broncos. Let's shift over to a player who's also waiting to get that big contract, but he might not want it from his current team. And that is Jaguars cornerback Jalen Ramsey. As of this recording, Jalen Ramsey is still a member of the Jacksonville Jaguars. I spoke in length last week about how Jalen wants out of Jacksonville. And that's still the case. 
But the difference now is that the Jaguars would prefer to keep him, especially after Thursday night's big win over the Tennessee Titans with Gardner Minshew at quarterback. Ramsey called in sick on Monday and didn't show up to the team's facility. Then he showed up the next day and he reported a back problem. He didn't practice. And now he is completely away from the team because he is expecting the sec- his second daughter. So he's back in Nashville now and now with the team. And the question becomes, what happens next? Will Jalen play this week against the Denver Broncos? That is unlikely. Will the Jaguars actually now try to trade him? Because they have received offers. Maybe not what they want to get for Jalen Ramsey, but they have gotten offers and they have not pulled the trigger on any of them up until this point. Now, one more thing before I move to another topic. Jalen Ramsey was on the Uninterrupted podcast last week and he explained why he requested a trade. And simply put, it doesn't sound like it's a Doug Marone problem like most of us thought after he had that whole sideline altercation in week two. Ramsey sounds like he's upset with the front office and they apparently have had some things to say about Jalen Ramsey that he is not happy about. Ramsey doesn't feel appreciated in Jacksonville. And Tom Coughlin, the vice president of football operations for the Jacksonville Jaguars, he is probably the last person you want to mess with. And this whole situation could get real messy if things spill over to the public. It hasn't gotten to that point yet. But if it does, and if it keeps on going the way it has up until now, it would not be a surprise if it if it ends up spilling over to the public. Let's move on to another player who is not on an NFL team right now, and that is Antonio Brown. We all know he was released by the Patriots on Friday, and mainly because he was on a short leash there, and those text messages that were released by Sports Illustrated were sent by Antonio Brown while he was a member of the New England Patriots. But after that is where everything explodes. The Patriots, when they signed Antonio Brown, they gave him a $9 million signing bonus. And his contract clearly states that the guaranteed money voids if the player takes any action that undermines the public respect for or is critical of ownership, coaches, teammates, etc. Brown was set to receive the first installment of that signing bonus signing bonus on Monday it was for five million dollars but the Patriots cut him on Friday and then on Sunday Brown went on a Twitter tirade attacking Patriots owner Robert Kraft Steelers quarterback Ben Roethlisberger and others the Patriots did not pay him that five million dollars on Monday the Raiders did not pay Antonio Brown the guaranteed money from his other from his earlier deal in the offseason the three-year $50 million plus deal that he signed when he was traded to Oakland. They didn't pay him any of the guaranteed money from that deal. And Brown has filed a grievance, as you would expect he would, and we'll see how that goes. The NFL is still investigating all the serious allegations and accusations from Brittany Taylor and the second accuser as well. So there's a long way to go here. Also, in that Twitter rampage that Antonio Brown had on Sunday, he said that he will no longer play in the NFL anymore. We'll see how long that actually lasts. But regardless, 
it's hard to imagine him catching on with a team until all of this is settled. It is not a criminal case yet, but again, it's hard to imagine him on a team until everything over here clears up. Let's wrap up this segment on a good note with an incredible story. It is absolutely amazing. It involves Eagles wide receiver Nelson Aguilar. Basically, earlier this week, there was a fire in a building in Philadelphia, and this Eagles fan named Hakeem Lewis went in and saved babies and a woman. He literally caught a baby and a woman who were thrown out of the building There were no serious injuries here, but when this Eagles fan, Hakeem Lewis, was interviewed by reporters to talk about his heroics, he called out Eagles wide receiver Nelson Aguilar by saying, quote, we were catching those babies unlike Aguilar, end quote. Now, Nelson Aguilar, who was, by the way, a fantasy sleeper last week on the episode, he had two touchdowns, but... He's had a serious problems with the drops and it's become a real problem and this Eagles fan took notice and straight up took a shot at Nelson Aguilar during an interview about a fire which he literally saved a baby and a woman. Now what's great about this story is that Nelson Aguilar didn't ignore the video. He didn't get angry or take a shot back at the fan. He went on Twitter and he responded with this. Thank you for being a hero in the community. Would like to invite you and your family to the next home game. Twitter, help me out and get me in touch with him. NBC Philadelphia has confirmed that they are in touch and are making plans for Lewis to be at an Eagles home game. This is just flat out awesome. Kudos to Nelson Aguilar for going and taking the high road. That is just amazing. Usually players will go out and attack the fan back or just ignore it and make believe nothing ever happened. Nelson Aguilar went out of his way, went on Twitter, and has invited this fan and his family to an Eagles home game. I just love this story and had to put it here into the podcast. Alrighty, let's move on to the next segment here. We have the five things to watch for this week in week four. Before we go there, let's recap the five things that I mentioned last week to look for in week three. We started off with Vikings quarterback Kirk Cousins and how he would respond versus the Oakland Raiders after a brutal week two against the Green Bay Packers. The Vikings won and Kirk Cousins had a pretty good game. Nothing special, nothing insane, but it wasn't a disaster like week two. It was Dalvin Cook once again who led the way and he is slowly becoming one of the better running backs in the league. If he stays healthy, he is a special player. But back to the Vikings and Kirk Cousins. Here we go again this week. A big game on the road versus the division rival Chicago Bears. The Bears are over 500. They are 2-1. and one. And in his career, Kirk Cousins is 5-26 and 26 versus over 500 teams. This game will be on CBS with Jim Nance and Tony Romo on the call. So there will be a national audience watching Kirk Cousins and how he plays. The second thing last week was how would Daniel Jones do in his Giants debut as the starting quarterback. 
and we all got to see how he did. It is the talk of football right now. He was incredible. He was amazing with his arm, with his legs. And simply put, I'm a New Yorker. Daniel Jones has created a buzz in New York, a vibe in New York. It's just a different feeling over here. There's hope that the New York Giants finally have their quarterback and they can get back to its glory days. And this is also why I can't stand when people decide on a person's career on draft night. Daniel Jones was called a bust as soon as the Giants picked him number 6 overall. How many of you even watch Duke football to say that? I think it's absurd. 2018, the, the Colts drafted a guard, Quentin Nelson, with the 6th overall pick. Who takes a guard, right? And look at him now. He is a very important player on the Colts offensive line. The number 7 overall pick that year was Josh Allen in the Buffalo Bills. How many of you watched Wyoming football? And now Josh Allen is 3-0 with the Buffalo Bills. We have to stop telling stop saying that these players are busts as soon as they are drafted majority of people put the bust label as soon as they're picked it is insane why do people do that i don't know and it just took one game for daniel jones to change many people's opinions it was great to see and now he gets to face a washington redskins defense that just got torched by mitchell trubisky on monday night Speaking of the Redskins, they were the third thing to watch for last week. I said if Case Keenum struggles versus Chicago, would the Redskins turn to Dwayne Haskins for this week versus the New York Giants? Keenum struggled. He had five turnovers. The Redskins lost. But after the game, head coach Jay Gruden said he wasn't considering a change. And maybe, just maybe, that says more about Dwayne Haskins not being ready than it is about Case Keenum not being good. Remember, Haskins had just one season in Ohio State. But it's worth noting that Case Keenum is dealing with some foot injury. He didn't practice on Wednesday. He is practicing today on Thursday when this is being recorded. So he will likely play. But if he doesn't, maybe we'll get to see Dwayne Haskins. But that is unlikely. The fourth thing that I said was I wanted to see the Buffalo Bills keep it rolling and beat the Cincinnati Bengals, which would set up a matchup of 3-0 teams, Bills versus Patriots. That is exactly what happened. We have that matchup this week from Buffalo. I love this game. As I said last week, I'm all in on the Buffalo Bills. New England is a bit banged up. They have, obviously, Antonio Brown is no longer there. Julian Hellman has a chest injury. Their offensive line is dealing with some issues. So this game, I think, will be an exciting game. The atmosphere in Buffalo is going to be insane. Two top-notch defenses. The ageless Frank Gore and the ageless Tom Brady are in this game. I really believe that it has potential to be a close game that goes down to the wire. And then the fifth and final thing that I mentioned last week was the officiating and how there were so many holding calls in the first two weeks and will the NFL do something about it? And guess what? The NFL did something about it. Al Riveron had a conference call with all the NFL referees on Saturday night and told them to ease up on all the holding calls. And that is exactly what happened because on Sunday... There were just 41 flags for offensive holding. That comes out to just under 3 per game. 
in the first 33 games of the season. That is the first two weeks, plus the Thursday night game, Jacksonville and Tennessee. There were an average of under just under six offensive holding calls per game. A significant drop. We saw more football and less yellow flags on Sunday. So there is something that we can all be happy about. As for this week, we have some really good-looking p- games on paper, including that Buffalo-New England matchup, which I just brought up. We also have the Lions and Chiefs. That's another game of two undefeated teams. But here are the five things that I'll be watching for in Week 4, and then we'll recap it in next week's episode. So here we go. Number one, we have Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys. And I say this because this week's game versus the New Orleans Saints in New Orleans in the Superdome is their first real competition of the season. It's on Sunday Night Football. The Cowboys' first three games of the year have been against the Giants, the Redskins, and the Dolphins. That is three of the worst defenses in football. Now, the Saints aren't a great or top-level defense in the NFL, but it's definitely better than the Dolphins and the Giants, right? So now, with Dak Prescott, who still doesn't have a long-term deal, and that's a different topic, But the question here becomes, will Dak Prescott continue to get better and better and continue to improve on those first three games versus mediocre defenses? Or will he take a step back this week versus the Saints? And will we see a little bit of that Dak Prescott struggles that we saw last year? He has the Saints this week and then the Packers defense next week. So tougher days are ahead for Dallas. How will Dak Prescott fare versus the Saints defense on Sunday Night Football this week. That is the first thing that I'll be watching for in Week 4. Next up, we have the Cleveland Browns, who have a big divisional game this week versus the Baltimore Ravens. The Browns are 1-2 on the season so far. Both losses have come at home. Their only win has been against a depleted New York Jets team. And there's been an awful lot of criticism of Freddie Kitchens and Baker Mayfield after their loss on Sunday night versus the LA Rams. The play calling and the game management has been questionable. And the offense, even with all the new weapons that were added in the offseason, it has just not clicked so far. It's just not organized. The penalty are still an issue and when you look at the Cleveland Browns it's the defense that has been banged up and not healthy so far this season I mean their entire starting secondary was out on Sunday night versus the Rams and they've held up so far it's been the offense that has struggled and now this week versus the Ravens will the Browns lay another egg and struggle and fall to one and three Or will they shut up all the haters, shut the haters all up, and come out with a big win and go to 2-2 on the season and get tied up with the Baltimore Ravens? After this game, they have a Monday night football game versus the San Francisco 49ers, the undefeated San Francisco 49ers. And then they have Seattle and the New England Patriots. So it's not getting any easier for them. A big, big game this week versus the Baltimore Ravens. How will they fare in that game? The third thing that I'm watching for this week is, are the Lions for real? The Detroit Lions are 2-0-1 to start the year. 
and they have the Kansas City Chiefs this week coming into their building. Now, you can tell based off how they're playing that there's a different culture there in Detroit with with second-year head coach Matt Patricia. But it's worth noting that the entire NFC North so far is over 500, so that division is no walk in the park. 2-0-1 is a great start, but there's a lot more to go over here. Secondly, all their games so far this season have gone down to the wire. Week 1 versus Arizona, Week 2 versus the Chargers, and Week 3 versus the Eagles all went down to the final minutes of the game. So they've been in some tough matchups. And then lastly, and I tweeted this out on Sunday, the Lions have had some breaks to start the season. Week 1 of the Cardinals, it's rookie head coach, rookie quarterback, Patrick Peterson, Robert Alford, their right tackle, all out. Then week two, the Chargers, Melvin Gordon, Derwin James, Russell Okung, Hunter Henry, all out. Then last week versus the Eagles, you have Deshaun Jackson and Alshon Jeffrey being out. So they've had some breaks to start the year. And now they have the Kansas City Chiefs, the NFL MVP. They sort of have a break here as well with Tyree Kill being out. But the Chiefs offense, they are electric regardless. And the question is, can the Lions keep this game competitive and keep it close? Go into the fourth quarter with a 28-25 game. This is the type of game where the Lions can prove to the league that they are legit. They can play with the top teams in the NFL, even if they lose. But keep it close, keep it competitive, and we'll know if they're legit or if they flop, then everyone forgets about them again. So this is a really good matchup for the Lions to show the rest of the league if they are for real. I want to see how they fare versus the Kansas City Chiefs. Moving on to number four and the fourth thing that I'll be watching for this week, and that is the Denver Broncos defense. The Broncos in the offseason hired a defensive-minded head coach in Vic Fangio, one of the best defensive minds in all of football. And when you take Vic Fangio and you mix in Bradley Chubb and Von Miller and Chris Harris and you sign Kareem Jackson, that should equal a very scary defense, right? Well, the Broncos in three games this year, they have zero sacks and zero takeaways. I repeat, zero sacks and zero takeaways in three games. I have the same amount of sacks as the Broncos. You, the listener, has the same amount of takeaways as the Broncos. What in the world is going on with this defense? So I won't go in-depth with what's going on. But while there are some stars on this defense, the rest of the defense isn't as great, especially the interior and their inside linebackers. Now, is this the week that the Broncos defense finally wakes up and makes some plays? You get the Jaguars with a rookie quarterback. It's the great Gardner Minshew at quarterback. But in all seriousness, no turnovers and no sacks in three games with a defense like that What in the world is going on? I want to see if something changes and if the Broncos defense can wake up and wreak some havoc this week versus the Jacksonville Jaguars. And then the fifth and final thing that I'll be watching this week is the Monday night football game, which isn't so exciting on paper because it's a game between two 0-3 teams. But I'm looking at the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's a game versus the Bengals, but here's the thing. Last week, the Steelers traded a first-round pick to the Dolphins for Minka Fitzpatrick. 
This week, they traded a fifth round pick to the Seahawks for a tight end, Nick Vanette. They already don't have their third round pick in a trade with Denver from draft night when they moved up to get Devin Bush. They're sitting at 0-3, coming off a game in which they forced five turnovers and still somehow lost. Ben is done for the season, we know that. Mason Rudolph wasn't great last week. If the Steelers would lose again here on Monday Night Football and fall to 0-4, I think the outrage in Pittsburgh is going to be insane. And after that game, they have Baltimore and the Chargers. We could be staring at an 0-6 team as they go into their bye. They have to win this week against the Bengals. They can't afford to lose. And while the Bengals are 0-3, this is a different Bengals team than what the Steelers are used to facing previously. This is now a Zach Taylor run team. No more Marvin Lewis after all those years. I'm really curious to see how this game unfolds and what happens in Pittsburgh if they were going to lose an 0-4 record without a first-round pick and without your starting quarterback and that schedule ahead, that equals bad. Moving on to another segment, a segment that we've been pretty good at in the first two weeks of this podcast. Let's keep it going. It is the fantasy football segment. Last week, we listed five sleepers. We were, um, I wouldn't call it amazing, but I wouldn't call it a flop. We had Nelson Aguilar as the first sleeper, and he went off. Even though he has all those drops, he went off and had two touchdowns and 23 fantasy points in ESPN standard scoring leagues. After Aguilar, we had another wide receiver. It was 49ers rookie Debo Samuel, who didn't flop, but he wasn't great. Had just 44 receiving yards. To be fair, the entire 49ers offense was sloppy last week versus Pittsburgh, so I really wouldn't put all the blame on Debo, but they do have a bye this week, so you might not hold on to him, but he is someone to keep on watching and keep on your radar moving forward. After that, we had Packers running back Jamal Williams, and some of you might not know this, but Jamal Williams had more yards, more snaps, and more touches than Aaron Jones last week. I said to watch for that because Matt LaFleur said it is something that he wants to do. Aaron ended up having two touchdowns in that game last week, which made his numbers and his fantasy numbers look better. But I will say I had to re-record this part of the podcast because Jamal Williams, who played on Thursday night versus the Green versus the Philadelphia Eagles, he left that game with a serious looking head injury, neck injury. It was a late and unnecessary hit by Derek Barnett. He had to be stretched off the field. There is no update on exactly what um, is going on with him. He does have feeling in all of his extremities, but he is injured. So we'll see exactly what the status is with him. But he was getting touches and was on the field last week in that game. So it is something that the Packers are going to do with their running backs with Aaron Jones. And if Jamal Williams can come back, he is going to split the work with Aaron Jones. After that, we had a tight end. We, I said that if you are in desperate need of a tight end, go pick up Jason Witten versus the Dolphins because the Dolphins defense isn't that good. Witten ended up putting up um, 54 receiving yards, which again isn't great, but it is good enough if you are desperate for a tight end. Moving on to this week, we have five more sleepers. 
I'll start off with New England Patriots wide receiver Philip Dorsett. This is the thing about Dorsett. Tom Brady trusts him. That's all you need to know. Tom Brady is willing to throw the ball to him without any trust problems. In two games this year without Antonio Brown on the Patriots roster, Dorsett has 10 catches for 148 yards and 3 touchdowns. And now, Julian Edelman is also banged up with a chest injury. We'll see if he plays this week. And AB, we all know, is not there anymore. So Dorsett's opportunities are only going up. Tom Brady trusts him, as we said. And going back to last year, including the playoffs, Philip Dorsett has six touchdowns in his past seven games. That says a lot. I really like Philip Dorsett moving forward this season with Tom Brady and the rest of the Patriots offense. Let's move on to a running back that I really think could have a big game this week. And this week is likely the final week that he'll be relevant in fantasy. I'm talking about Chargers running back Justin Jackson. We know Melvin Gordon is back, but he's not playing in this week's game versus the Dolphins. And we all know that the Dolphins have a terrible defense. Now, last week, the Dolphins played against the Cowboys. And in that game, Zeke and his backup, Tony Pollard, both had over 100 yards rushing. If this game, Chargers versus Dolphins, gets out of hand... I think it's fair to say that Jackson will get a bulk load of carries. Now, here's the other thing about Jackson. Is that if you look at his numbers for the year, you probably aren't impressed. But what you might not know is that he's had two touchdowns this season called back due to penalty. The Chargers like Jackson, and I think he'll be a big part of that offense this week with Austin Eckler in the final week without Melvin Gordon in the lineup. Next up, we go back to the wide receiver position and we go to Redskins wide receiver Paul Richardson. Here's here's another player that has a nice matchup this week versus the New York Giants. Just like the Dolphins, the Giants defense is terrible and Richardson is coming off a game in which he had 8 catches for 83 yards and a touchdown. And that was versus the Bears defense, a very good defense. Terry McLaurin is another wide receiver on the Redskins who would be a great start this week. McLaurin was a sleeper in episode number one. In the very first episode, we mentioned him, and he looks like he is a stud for the Washington Redskins. I think the simple math equation here is wide receivers versus the Giants equals start. Pretty simple. Next up is a running back who I wouldn't start this week, but I don't understand why he isn't rostered in more leagues. It's Vikings rookie running back Alexander Madison. Here's the thing here. First off, the Vikings are committed to running the ball. We all know that. They're all in on using Dalvin Cook. And Cook has delivered so far. He looks like one of the best running backs so far this year in the NFL. But we also know that Cook has an injury history. And if something was to happen to Cook, Madison immediately becomes becomes a starter In all leagues, in all fantasy leagues. Just last week, versus the Oakland Raiders, Madison had 12 carries for 58 yards and a touchdown. The Vikings used a third round pick on him. They like him. If you're a Dalvin Cook fantasy owner, it would make no sense if you don't have him as a handcuff. And Madison is owned in under 13% of ESPN leagues. For a team that loves to run the ball so much, it only makes sense to keep him on your roster now instead of leaving him as a free agent and then later on in the season, 
he ends up becoming a top waiver wire ad because something happened to Dalvin Cook, whether it's a small ankle sprain, misses a game, whatever it is, something might end up happening and Alexander Madison would be an automatic starter for that week. Lastly, this is another player who you are not starting this week because he's not even playing this week, but he could be an intriguing option to add if he's available in your league. It is Giants wide receiver Golden Tate. Yes, Golden Tate. He is suspended for the first games of the season. The suspension comes to an end after this week. And with Daniel Jones, Danny Dimes at quarterback now, Golden Tate has a chance to make some plays on that offense, that new look offense, with Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram while Saquon Barkley is out. Remember, the Giants committed big-time money to bring in Golden Tate in the offseason. He's owned in just 50% of leagues on ESPN, so maybe he's sitting around there and he might be worth adding moving forward once he comes back after this week. So that does it for this week's My Sports Update football podcast. Unfortunately, there is not enough time to get to your questions this week. Just way too much things going on, a lot of work being done, a lot of exciting things being worked on. I'll try to answer some of those questions on Twitter. As always, one final reminder before I sign off, you can find the My Sports Update football podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. All of it is greatly appreciated. I am your host, Ari Mirov. I'll be back with a new episode next week. Thanks for listening, everyone. Enjoy week four.